The story we're about to tell is similar to the stories of many other Italians, or to be more specific, of many other Southern Italians. It is the story of a man who was as brilliant as unlucky. A man who decided to leave behind the red and arid soil of southern Italy to seek his fortune somewhere else. It's the story of all of those who refuse to compromise, to comply with the rules and to accept the pre-existing canons. It is the story of those who are determined to pave their own path whatever it takes, without ever looking back. My strength is in my superstition. I have faith in my lucky star. I have always reached the goals that I set for myself. It did look like he was born under a lucky star when, in the winter of 1846, Giuseppe De Nittis came to light in a small city of southern Italy named Barletta. He was in fact the fourth son in a family of rich landowners. His parents were well known and had a good reputation in their hometown. However, during Giuseppe's first months of life, the political career of his father was abruptly cut off by an arrest. The detention, which lasted more than two years, led into a severe depression and eventually he tragically took his life. Giuseppe's childhood, therefore, was not the most peaceful and things got even worse when his mother, Teresa Emanuela, died as well. Giuseppe was first brought up by his grandparents and then passed under the custody of his older brother, Vincenzo. In Barletta, while he was still a young boy, he started taking painting lessons from Giambattista Calò, one of the masters of the Neapolitan school, who noticed very soon Giuseppe's innate talent and never stopped encouraging him to paint. His brothers, on the other hand, tried in every way to oppose to young Giuseppe's desire to cultivate his innate artistic talent and told him that the life of an artist will bring him more suffering than joy, condemning him to be perpetually poor. However, as it often happens with teenagers, his brother's warnings and prohibitions were not so effective. At this point, Giuseppe was fully aware of his artistic vocation and he was determined to pursue it at all costs. So, at only age 15, he left home to move to Naples and to attend the Academy of Fine Arts. He wrote about his teenage years later in his memoirs. Every morning before dawn, I would leave home and run to my painter friends, who were all much older than me, and then we would leave together. Ah, those were good times. So much freedom, so much fresh air, so many endless runs. And the sea, the great sky, the broad horizons. Sometimes I would find myself under sudden rainstorms. 
Because, believe me, I know the atmosphere very well. I've painted it several times. I know all the colors, all the secrets of the sky and of the air and their deepest nature. I left school and became my own teacher. I would roam the countryside painting and extracting from nature the essential colors. You would not believe how tiring that was. Very soon, however, young Giuseppe found himself not to be so interested in all the notions and the academic practices as he found them to be bound to a concept of art that was archaic and conformist. Such attitude towards the rules caused him an expulsion from the academy, which, in its official transcripts, stated not to see in him any kind of artistic talent. The newly conquered freedom led Giuseppe to live a direct relationship with the countryside and with the sea, which will be the most recurring subjects of the first half of his artistic career. Through his painting, Denitis would give shape to his emotions. His art aimed to satisfy this need, therefore painting could not simply be an exercise in style. The truthfulness was in fact the main characteristic to stand out from his whole production. The love for outdoors painting led Giuseppe to found, in 1864, at the age of 17, the Portici School, together with other young painters. Nature, both in its sublime and terrifying manifestation, and also in the most ordinary ones, was, for a long time, his favorite subject. Ah, nature, I feel so close to it. I'm in love with it. How many joys did it give to me? It taught me everything I know. 1867 was a crucial year for the Nittis. Encouraged by his brotherly friend, the sculptor Adriano Ceccioni, he presented some of his newest works in Florence, where he inspired deep admiration among the painters from the Macchiaioli movement. Also thanks to Ceccioni's recommendation, Giuseppe entered the inner circle at the Café Michelangelo, the exclusive club where the painters from the Florentine school were discussing the use of a new revolutionary technique, which would have taken the name of pointillism. Despite a few zealous critics have found some Florentine influences in Denitti's style, it is impossible not to notice the difference between Giuseppe's original artistic solutions and the canons adopted by the Macchiaioli painters. In particular, while for the Macchiaioli a sketch's aim was simply to contain the color, for Denitti's preparatory drawing was of the essence. As a matter of fact, he put great importance on chromatic highlighting and on the lights and on the volumes. One could say, in the end, that while the Florentine school did not have a crucial influence in his art, it certainly set the grounds for Denitti's evolution as a painter. Florence soon started to be too tight for him as he already had a new, more prestigious destination in mind. 
And so, after a long time roaming throughout Italy, in 1867 he moved to Paris. There he worked hard under the protection of an art dealer called Adolphe Goupil. He also joined a group of intellectuals who fancied a kind of art that could be fashionable and, at the same time, resemble the mundanity of life in the Paris society. In France, Giuseppe found both his fortune and the love of his life. If I were to stay in Italy, I would not be what I am today. It is to Paris that I owe my fame. And in fact, it is in Paris that the Nittis made new important connections with art dealers who financed his work. The need for money was in fact an urgency for Giuseppe. Paris was not only an expensive city, it was the most expensive city in the entire continent. Not that his works went undersold, but the cost of the bohemian life that Giuseppe had started to conduce was unreasonably high. In order to face all of those expenses, Denitis reached the point where he would sacrifice his personal taste just to work on commissions. Luckily, he did not indulge for long in this kind of gigs, after he realized how contrary this was to his nature. Thanks to the harsh words of his friend Cecconi, Giuseppe snapped out of it, and he went back to painting subjects from everyday life. He liked to portray both the places where such dynamic and growing society would flourish and the faces of its protagonists. Among the most recurrent subjects in his Paris works, women were the absolute queens. Women that he would observe, get to know and even love. Among them there is one, his future wife, Leontine Grouville, that he portrayed multiple times, and to whom the city of Barletta will eternally be thankful. It is in fact thanks to her sensitivity and to her deep love that the most part of the Nittis works now belong to his native land. In the portraits of his wife Leontine, Giuseppe places great emphasis on the details, which through a fine psychological study, reveal a great deal of grace and femininity in her. Although Giuseppe had found his ideal environment in the mundane Paris lifestyle, he often felt the need to isolate from that restless tide of humanity. He in fact spent long periods of time taking shelter in his homeland, preparing sketches of landscapes, shapes and details that he would then transform in oil paintings once he was back in his studio. In particular, one of his most famous paintings, Return from Mount Vesuvius, dated 1873 and dedicated to the author Alexandre Numa, was drawn from one of those very sketches, which Giuseppe used to show as a preview to his friends Edouard Manet, Edgar Degas, Tissot and Zola whenever they would visit him in his home in Paris. It was Degas who, in 1874, 
endorsed his attendance as the only Italian to the first Impressionist exhibition, where he made a very good impression. His painting style appeared precise and well-defined, and while overly chromatically exposed, it stood out from the crowd. From that moment on, his non-conformist production never stopped drawing the attention of the Impressionists, and his works were exhibited at the Paris Salon, basically the main event of the year in Europe, both on the artistic and on the mundane sides. We are talking about a competitive exhibition organized by the Academy of Fine Arts under the protection of the French government. A jury would select the paintings to exhibit and evaluate the works to award. The paintings were exhibited for around one month at the Salon Carré at the Louvre, hence the name, and all the high-end Paris society would come visit it. Whoever won the Salon was bound to become rich and famous. What really established a connection between the Nittis and the French Impressionists was the deep curiosity they shared for the present they lived. Through his moody and non-conformist personality, he interpreted the canons of their movement. He studied the layout of the Japanese painting style, Degas' cinematic effects, and he fell in love with Monet's fade-out technique. It was the Impressionists who invited him to exhibit some of his works at their new gallery on Boulevard des Capucines. Then it is accepted at first, but he soon found himself regretting that choice. Not only it brought to the termination of his contract with Goupil, but it did not result in him officially entering the movement, since the Impressionists would not tolerate his strive to remain independent from all the basic rules and the canons of the movement. Let down by such poor outcome, Giuseppe decided to move to London, where he had been for the first time in 1874, and he had fallen victim of the city's grandiose charm. His curious and observing spirit led him to focus particularly on some aspects of the metropolitan lifestyle that were linked to the mundanity, to the elegance and to the flourishing of intellectual clubs. One of his favorite themes, however, continued being the horse races, also beloved by some of the Impressionists like Degas. One of his most interesting works from this period is certainly Westminster, a hazy landscape with a clear Impressionist cut, where a group of gentlemen is looking outwards from the bridge while smoking and chatting. It is a scene of everyday life, where a reddish light, filled with unmistakable London fog, envelops people and things in a crepuscular atmosphere. This painting was commented even by the great Vincent van Gogh in one of his famous letters to his brother Theo. A few days ago we received a painting by the Nittis, a view of London in a rainy day. It was the bridge of Westminster, 
I knew I would look when the sun sets behind the abbey and the houses of parliament, and even when it rises in the early morning, or with the snow during the winter. When I saw this painting, however, I was able to feel how much I love London. It was in fact in London that Benitis had important and profitable relations with some businessmen who then became his sponsors, allowing him to express his art in a complete freedom. As we said, Giuseppe never had a high education, his letters appear bare, and his prose left a lot to be desired. All of that, however, influenced his art in an unexpected and extraordinary way, generating a unique style of painting that was independent from both the academic and the anti-conformist movements, and that became the truthful expression of the world and of Denitis' experience of it. His art of painting, the basic but yet clever observation of life, of its colors and of its protagonists, have been the fundamental reasons to Denitis' existence on Earth. If someday my son were to ask me where to find happiness, I would tell him, be a painter, but be one in the same way that I did. And being a painter the same way that he did means being a painter unconditionally, without compromising with the mainstream fashions, without becoming a slave to the flatteries of fame. He reached the highest point of his career in 1878, when he participated to the Universal Exhibition in Paris with 12 works, which monopolized the attention both of the audience and of the critics. In the following years, he focused particularly on the technique of pastel drawing, before being struck by a severe bronchitis in 1883, which will force him to stay in bed for months, making it almost impossible for him to paint. And so, in 1884, Giuseppe died right at his peak, like a supernova. While he was appreciated among the most renowned critics, at the age of 38, he was hit by a brain stroke. He was buried in Paris, in the cemetery of Père Lachaise, and his epitaph was written by his friend, Alexandre Dumas. Here lays the painter Giuseppe Denitis, who left us at the peak of his youth, of his love and of his glory just like the heroes and the demigods. His wife Leontine donated several of his paintings to his hometown, and still to this day they are stored in a gallery named after him, located in Barletta, in Palazzo della Marra. Back in 2010, the Petit Palais Museum in Paris dedicated to him a gallery named Denitis, la modernité élégante, and in 2022, thanks to the shared efforts of the city of Barletta, of the Puglia region, and of the Embassy of Italy, more than 30 of Denitis' paintings were shipped overseas and made it for the first time to the United States. As a matter of fact, one of the strongholds of modern art, the Phillips Gallery in Washington DC, hosted an exhibition named 
an Italian Impressionist in Paris. While it is true that Denitis died young, too young perhaps, he still managed to leave us an extraordinary legacy, made not only of his immense artistic patrimony, but also of a valuable lesson. Even an orphan who came from nothing can become great. Even an immigrant from southern Italy can challenge the most renowned French Impressionists. The only condition is to never give away your authenticity and to remain true to yourself and to the path you have chosen. This is the legacy of Giuseppe De Nittis. The podcast you just listened to was written and voiced by Michele Dinella and it was produced in collaboration with Like a Bee Creative Company.